Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to another episode of QBT. I'm Maddie Germs. And I'm Shawnee. And we are two queer babes talking about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. And today we are joined by disability consultant and smoking hot babe, Andrew Gerza. I'm really excited to talk to them about their work. Me too. I like, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's a fun day. Fun mm, Sunday. Mm, Sunday, Sunday. Mm, hey, hey. Mm. Let's do it. Let's do it. Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> another week, another podcast. How you doing? <laughs> what was that clap? I just, yeah, we're excited today. We're so excited. Mm. Um, I'm doing fine. Fine. I uh oh <laughs> oh what brain fart or uh. silliness? No, I realized what I was going to say, I'm going to say for my meds. Oh, okay. Which is why I choked my words and then became weird. Right. But so. um, I've had an okay week. I, school stuff, everything is like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Um, but, oh, I think I know, you know what your your meds are going to be. Right. Okay. Then I won't say anything. Yeah. Um, sup, slut, how are you? What's up? Uh, I'm doing okay. It was a productive week. Good. But enough about that. Okay. I have a question. All right. Okay, so I learned this week that some people have an internal dialogue that runs in their head, uh-huh. and some people don't. Like, literally, when they're just, like, doing things, it's like they're, there's, like, a voice in their head that says things. Oh, from that, because there was that TikTok video right. of that girl who was like, when I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, I'm going to the fridge, or like, oh, that person looks like an idiot. Like, narrating like, your life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you someone that has that? Yeah. Okay. Like, right now, I'm like, I'm sitting here talking to Maddie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like very present. What about you? I I definitely I have a voice. I, I like I think the the people who do not and maybe you're listening are like thinking more in pictures or concepts and it's not so much like a I am doing this kind of thing or I guess people also don't like have that internal voice of like uh thinking something before you say it or you oh. know what I mean? <laughs> The people that get themselves in trouble? I mean, maybe. I yeah. Guess. I don't know. I was going to say, like, I I can't fathom not having this, like, hearing myself yeah. narrating my stuff. It feels like, what, what would it even be? Just silence? Well, I think that there would, I mean, my understanding is that there's, like, uh, it's just a different way of thinking. It's not a verbal way of thinking. Mm. Which feels odd. But to me, I'm like, I know I'm going to be 87 years old. Just like talk, 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 talking to myself. Like, <laughs> I'm going to stop at some point. I'm going to stop caring about it being internal and right. just like let it out. Well, I was going to say mine is definitely internal, but also external. Like if I'm here in this apartment by myself. Yeah, you've told oh, me Oh, I'm just like talking up a storm that to nobody. Funny. That's funny. Too. Not even blue. It's like straight to myself. I sometimes will need to external process something, like, especially if it's, like, about someone else or, like, it's not just about me. I'll, like, mm-hmm. definitely think of <laughs> conversations. And sometimes I will externalize my side of the conversation. That adds up to me. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but no, I definitely, I think I, I have some sort of internal narration. I don't know what it would be like to not, but I, I, if you're, if you're one of those folks who are not, let us know, let us know what that's like. Like I'm for curious. real, like actually come on the podcast and explain yeah. it. Cause I can't fathom it at I all. I can't fathom it at all. No, I feel like you're a sociopath. You're not, but no, I feel like maybe you they are. they view that about us though, and that there's like this. Oh you, yeah, you have this constant need to like say what's going on. You can't just do it. My mom used to say, <laughs> she's like, it's okay if you talk to yourself, yeah, and like uh, until you start answering yourself back, that's when you have to worry, right? I haven't answered myself. Yes, I have. I have. I, we should yeah. be worried. I feel like what I do <laughs> instead of talk, I will think something and then answer. Ah. Like if I externalize it, it's not like the setup. Yeah. It's like the answer is the yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. I am like offering. I'll be loud. thinking. I'll be thinking something and I'll out loud say like, "No, Sean, we're not going to do that. We're going right. to do it this way." Right. And I definitely talk to myself in the third person. Yes. Should we we should have like an episode about that. Like what is mental that? illness? <laughs> <laughs> what have you been listening to this week? <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. Um, I actually haven't been listening to anything this week. Uh, I feel like. I don't know what's going on with music. It feels like there's this like drought and I'm waiting on like <clears throat> the summer album or the summer song to hit. And every Friday I like check Spotify and I'm like, no, nobody so didn't care about the sorry, City Girls song, Twerculator. That came out? Yeah, officially? I think, so. I think it came out Friday. Oh, nobody. No. And Spotify so we, might tell- we might love Twerculator. We don't oh, know though. See, now I got to look. <laughs> um, I... Was not really into a lot of new stuff this week. Troye Sivan and Tate McRae came out with a song called You that they just performed on. Um, it did come out? Yeah. Uh, uh, Spotify? I don't know what's going on with you, Spotify, but you're doing me dirty. Not showing you. Not showing stuff. me Kelly Rowland. Not showing. Oh, are you being racist, Spotify? Maybe sorry. Maybe. Um, Troye Sivan and Tate McRae came out with a song called You, a like mm, a month or so ago. They just performed it on Jimmy Fallon, I think, this week. Mm. Um, which, honestly, what happened is that I wanted to go back and listen to the Troye Sivan and Casey Musgrave song, Easy. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, into it. And then I saw this song. And I wasn't expecting to like it. And it is a little bit of that uh, new young kid singing where, like, everything sounds, like, wild. Like, you know that vine of, like, where they and the apples and bananas? <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> yes, about? Like, yes, the yes. indie girl thing? Yeah. Um, she has that a little bit. And normally it drives me wild. But for some reason it works for me in this Kate song. Kate has that. Yes. Okay. Um, and then uh, Carlos actually sent me this busy song by Erica. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, and it hits. It it's hits really good. Yeah. Hmm. Another thing that happened in music, I decided to revisit Nicki Minaj's uh, Pink Print Deluxe album. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I must not have known who Jesse Ware was back then. She has a song with Jesse Ware. Yeah, it's like the third song on the album, and what I was like, it? what? Uh, the cry, the crying game. Oh, crying game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, oh shit, Nikki. Yeah, the album's also excellent. Like, I listened to that to end. album when I was here watching Blue. I would go on mm. walks to the Pink Print for some reason. I don't know why. It just because it makes because you have Blue, you're a bad bitch when you walk I around guess, with Blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's it though. I've been listening to Nicki Minaj, uh, Nicki Minaj, and. Nicki Minaj. Do you get the legendary theme song stuck in your head as much as I do? Yes. 
All I really want to be is an icon or a legend. And I always end up, whenever it comes on, I'm like in this apartment dancing around the living room, voguing and doing everything I can do to act like I'm on that show. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And the second season, I mean, I mean, they had budget the first season, but I feel like there's bigger budget. Like the set looks bigger. Yeah. And that like backdrop with the like custom graphics yes. for each team. Yes. Ugh. Or each the house. One, the one thing that I don't, I feel like there's, mm-hmm. each episode could be about 10 minutes longer. I feel like it, the ending mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. feels so rushed to me. Yeah. I do like it when they have multiple categories and obviously this won't happen as much as the teams get eliminated. Mm. But the other thing is we have this choreographer we that they meet with. We have the the lispy man. Johnny Welk. Yes. Yeah. Welk? Wusek? I thought it was Welk. Is it Wusek? I don't know. Steve Wozniak? Exactly. <laughs> um, turtleneck. Um, we have him and then, but I'm like, well, that man is not making 92 costumes. No. So like, what is the process from that meeting to what they wear? Mm. Because they get critiqued heavily on what they're wearing. Right. And I'm like... What if that's that what if that's that man's fault? See, that's what I've never really understood about the oh, I don't like these outfits or like this doesn't look cuz I'm like, well, they're not are I mean, they're telling the designer what they like and what they want, but right. like are they the ones making it and why are they being judged on that? Or are they like I mean, I get why they are because in ballroom especially like it is about telling a story, especially if you're right. presenting as a house right, there right, is right. this like and I'm like, but are these if they're putting their trust into a designer mm-hmm. and then the designer gives them something that isn't what they meant or what they felt and then they have to go get critiqued on that, like, That's is the designer's that their fault? fault? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, the same with the choreography thing, too. I'm like, <laughs> what? to what extent are they taking complete ownership mm. over, like, that story that they tell? Because right. what if they get fucking dogged? And it really was this choreographer that they don't show. Right. Who's like, I think y'all should do this, this, and this. And then the people hate it. Well, that makes a little bit more sense to me, the choreography, because I feel like they always come in. Like, she always asks, like, what are you guys thinking? Like, would you already, like, show me what you got. And they usually, like, do the choreo. And I feel like she's just there to, like, tweak it a little bit, refine it. Like, maybe toss out. The costumes are made elsewhere. The people doing the choreography are still in ownership of what they're doing with their body. Right, 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 right. I get it, okay. Yeah, so that's why I, I still just don't understand the, yeah, I don't understand the costume thing. But I mean, this, I mean, the most recent episode with Taraji. So good. Was just fantastic. Sc- she was just screaming. <laughs> I know. Her mic was hot, too. Hot. Like, louder okay. than the music. <laughs> when she was like, uh, whenever somebody was crying and she would just be like, uh-uh, yes. don't do that. Put, lift your head up high. Lift your head up. Yeah. Uh-uh, baby. I was like, oh, I love Taraji. I love Taraji to be my mama. I know. I love you, the mama. Um, when No Money was on, I thought it was really cute. I also felt like she was afraid to have an opinion. Yes. I'm happy you said that. I was like, I feel like she gave the same score that uh, everybody else gave. Like, she would see... If she followed Megan, she gave Megan scores. Right. If she followed Laomi, she gave Laomi right. scores. Right, right. Because... I don't think Norm- Normani went first any of those times. I feel like she always followed somebody. No, I think that she had to go first at the end, though. They, I feel like... She had to make that tiebreaker, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, which yeah. was hilarious because she had had zero opinions the whole time. Right. She literally like would look to the person to her right and then give the same score. <laughs> which I, I honestly, I get. I think when you have 
a ballroom type show and you're kind of like bringing on these celebrities that have like maybe some connection to queer culture or not. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a good recognition of like, I don't maybe know what I'm talking about. The thing is she does though. Like she's a dancer. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm saying though that she didn't act like that. Yeah, which I think it had more to do with she like a PR though. sort of thing. Like, oh, I can't but then be like, mean because you know. why would you do that if you don't have music to promote? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, <laughs> and that's all I was worried about when I saw her. I was like, what are you doing? Why is are you a single? No, you're, you're just not on giving TV? me a song. Yeah, you, you're on Legendary. You're out here promoting nail art or whatever. Where's my single? Where's my album, Normani? Yeah. Ugh. I want I want the best for her. I don't know what it is. Have you been watching Halston? I watched two episodes of it. Okay, how do you and, feel? Uh, I didn't hate it, but I was like, this show, the writing is just sums off. Mm. And then after the first episode, I saw that Ryan Murphy was oh. a writer. And I thought, oh. oh, this all makes complete sense now. Yeah. Like, you can tell Ryan Murphy's work from like a mile away. Right. It's just like, it's a mess. It's a mess. Too many characters. It's too many characters. Too many plot lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's always, I mean, there's always a gay storyline. Yeah. Um, there's also a documentary about Halston on Prime, maybe, oh. that I want to watch. I honestly, I don't know a lot. I, Ewan McGregor in The Velvet Goldmine, have you ever seen that movie? Mm-mm. It, I forgot who the other person is that's in it, but it was like one of my first, like, uh, indie gay movies. It's about. It's about. It's sort of about David <laughs> Bowie. No, Blue. Blue. We're not doing this. No. <laughs> Blue's decided to say hello. He decided to say um, hello. Velvet Goldmine is this movie that's sort of about like the glam rockers of the seventies, um, mm. and it has penis in it. And I just remember being in like high school and like. It was this sort of bisexual 70s rocker movie. Ewan McGregor's in it. Ewan McGregor plays bisexual or gay often. Often, yeah. And so, like, I don't... There's plenty of people that I would be like, oh, why is this person doing this? But Ewan McGregor, I feel like, sort of sells okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe that person is queer in some way, but just, like, isn't... I don't know. Maybe they're not. But uh, I kind of buy it. I buy it. I Um, feel like they they might be. Also, I didn't know who Halston was until... Like yesterday. I mean, when it's like placed in the context of like, it's like I don't really know exactly who Bob Mackie is, but then it's like, oh, share. It's like, oh, right. okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. You know, I only, yeah, Tina Turner. That's the only reason. I there know. we go. Also, happy birthday, share. That happened. Oh right, she turned seventy-five. Good for her. Yeah, I think that there's a biopic coming out. Ooh. Or she's working on it or something. I'll watch that. I would too. Um, did you watch the woman in the? Window? Oh God, the woman in the window. Uh. <laughs> I watched it. Poor Amy Adams. Poor, in her flop era. She's in her flop in era. In her flop she era. She is looking for an Oscar and anywhere she can find it. Nope. it she's in all the wrong places. I Which, to be honest, this book, though, was written by a person who, like, he was, like, outed for, like, lying about, like, a lot of his life. Like, mm. I can't remember exactly what he lied about, but it was, like, wild stuff that he lied about. And then has these books about, like, mental illness and stuff. And it's, like, very... Hmm. But she she's agoraphobic and she does can't leave the house and does a murder. It sort of does it a like thing. a rear window, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock thing, yeah. Um, 
Julianne Moore's in it for a second. Say, my guy, my baby guy. My baby guy. And the way her like French press on nail tip touches <laughs> that lo- locket. I like the acting. Is in that this weird movie? that I've thought about that every day since I saw it? The way it touches like the. Yeah, it's the man, the manicure little nail. Yes. My little guy. My little baby guy. That's is that what like the the preview that Netflix showed you as well before you watched it? Because that's what convinced me to watch the movie. Oh, okay, okay. I, like, didn't know... I had heard about this... Uh, I had heard about <clears throat> The Woman in the Window. I think, like, I don't know, somewhere. Well, like, it was supposed to come out a long time ago. Yeah. And then I think it didn't get to theaters because of COVID. And then right. we got a Netflix distribution deal. Right. But I had completely forgotten about it. And I got on Netflix. And then you know how Netflix will, like, play a, like, snippet of the movie right. or whatever. That was the snippet it played. And I was like... I don't know what this is, but it looks like it is yeah. bad acting, and this is what I need on just like a lazy yeah. Saturday when I'm not doing shit. And it did not disappoint in in the sense of it was just pure ridiculousness. Yeah, like we just jumped right in. Like it was like ten or fifteen minutes in, and I was like, oh, we're just going for it. Yeah, I think I went in thinking it was not going to be good, so I kind of mm-hmm. enjoyed it. If that makes sense. Like I didn't go in being like, oh, I can't wait to watch this. Spooky right. movie with Amy Adams. I was like, this looks like wild. Yeah, I saw that it had gotten. Honestly, what was that movie with her and uh, Glenn Close? The uh, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy. I saw that it got like bad reviews. Not similar to that, but just like another Amy Adams movie with bad reviews. Right. And I thought, well, I'm gonna watch this to see why. Yeah. And the acting's just not good. It. It's messy. There's it. it you know what it feels like? It feels like a stage play that they like, mm. and mm. there's an element of like, there should be an audience on the other side right. of whatever is happening. But it's like a stage play that's mixed with this like art film. Cause there's these like sequences of very like trippy visuals kind of thing going on. And it, it, it sort of works. I will yeah, say yeah, though, yeah. The, the way that it ends and the way that it kind of all melds together does, I think have a very I kind of like that payoff, but it is a little bit like there's a new quote twist every 10 minutes. And it's like, it it becomes confusing. Yeah. I And the relationships are so like not defined. You're like, is that person in her basement like imaginary? Like, yeah. Like what are I was trying to figure out imaginary? who was real, who yes. wasn't. But yeah. then I also was going through this thing where I was like, because they're in New York. And I was just thinking... This doesn't happen in New York. Like that, like the person across the street that moved in across the street wouldn't come over from across the street to bring you a candle. No, that wouldn't even happen here. Like in Portland, right. I wouldn't go across the street to those neighbors and bring them a candle. I'd be like, no. "Welcome to the neighborhood from my room." Right. I don't know. It was the premise was weird. I feel like the acting wasn't great, and it felt. You know what it is? It felt like a, an art film slash indie film mixed with like a Lifetime movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was getting a lot of lifetime feels from it. Yeah. And not the good kind of lifetime feels like the Wendy Williams movie. Right. That was like meant to be like it couldn't so have been you any more that. Lifetime. I only watched the documentary that accompanied it where she like was just crying the whole time. <laughs> Girl, you didn't watch the movie? No, I think it, it oh. it's too much for me, I think. But it's like in all the right ways. I know, but I I feel like she already is that. Yeah. Like Okay, fair. So to watch that, I'm like, well, you're just trying to be Wendy Williams when you could have just, she's alive. She could have just done it. She could have just done Well, the girl that plays her, like, No, I know. Her. I've seen the clips. I mean, the clip of her, like, following in the falling in the uh, the Green Lantern thing. Uh, Statue of Liberty outfit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Green Lantern? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. What? There is some... 
Oh my God. It doesn't matter. Uh, there's, okay. there's some movie that has a trailer that just came out and I, I wanted to say it's Green Lantern, but it's not Green Lantern. It's like Cruella. Oh God. <laughs> Her, whatever. She's fine. She's um, fine. Special on Netflix. I feel like we might talk about this with Andrew in a second because he just interviewed Ryan. Um, the Really? Yes, Ryan oh. O'Connell, I think. Um, he just interviewed him last week on Disability After Dark. So I kind of want to talk to him about how he feels about special. But uh, I appreciate that they were able to move from this kind of 15-minute episodes, these like short little mm. things. It's now a full 30 minutes. It feels like a full show. Nice, nice, um, nice. I like that it has this kind of like comfort feel to it like it simultaneously feels like a very well done well written show Mm -hmm. mixed with this kind of like oh people you like are doing a thing Mm -hmm. like it doesn't feel like prestige in that way and they feel like real people kind of doing something and um i even though i am not able to i know i'm watching a show when i'm watching that when i'm watching special like i I don't feel like i'm like fully transported if that makes sense Mm. but i like every single character i like Everything that I'm seeing, I like what it's educating. I I just love the approach that I, I find it great. I really like that first season. Yeah. Um, it definitely felt like that. It felt like a... Uh, it felt like watching friends, like, make something. Yeah. Like, it's like I could see... Because he's the creator, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm like... It, I mean, it very much so felt like he's the creator starring in his own, like, yes. project. Yes. And these, like, actors are probably his friends. So like the I feel like the writing is good on it. I feel like I like the premise of the show. Yeah. The acting is whatever because it just feels like sort of a you're not there for the acting. You're there for not like really, no. the message, the the comedy. And the and fun. The I like and the fun. his best yeah. friend I think is so cool. I they also introduce a new like friend to the mom that I think is I think she's the oh, woman that mom from looking out. The mom is really stressful. Oh. She always looks like she's gonna cry. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I'm And she often out. does cry. Yeah. Um, there's a really good scene, though, where she confronts the daddy next door. Oh. Um, at, like, she, like, gets drunk and then, like, reveals stuff to her new girlfriend. And it's very funny. Um, I'm, I've only seen the first couple episodes of the season, but I, I really like it. I'm glad it's a show that exists. I'm happy that it got extended to, like, 30 minutes an episode. Yeah. Um, and this is the last season of it, too. I think so. I think it was, like, two and done. Dang. Yeah. I, I want more, but I, I also think uh, Ryan will be able to do more things. Like, yeah. he's proven himself as, like, you know, it, like a. It, what other vehicles have done this? Like, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Uh, no, look, I said looking <laughs> because the, the girl of the hot man. The girl of the hot man. Um, from. On looking, the arms man, the arms daddy man, his best friend. Oh, okay. That's the oh, best part of the oh show. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay She's okay, on okay, the new okay. season. Oh, that's perfect. That's yeah. great. Also, we got there eventually. she better pick a lane and a niche, like... She talks out of the side of her mouth, and I love what yeah. she's saying. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's always in, like, queer gay things. Yeah, I mean, good for her. Lady Gaga, speaking yeah. of women in gay things. Oh, God. Uh, Well, there's this new Oprah show um, called, like, The Me You Can't See. It's an Apple Plus show. <laughs> exactly. I mean, okay. it, it's... It's one of those things of like, you know, and we're part of this narrative too of like there's this rise in mental health awareness, like, which we also haven't talked about mental health awareness month, but also because like awareness for whom, but whatever. So this new show on Apple TV plus uh, the me you can't see Oprah talks to celebrities. Lady Gaga comes on. She talks about like being 
sexually assaulted and left pregnant and also is talking about whoa like the fact that she does not feel comfortable in naming this person but it was like yeah i think it's been known that this happened to her but this is the first time that she's talking explicitly about it i didn't know this because like you know the mary the night video where it starts off Mm -hmm. with her in the hospital like Mm -hmm. It's this story where she like, she has, she's like, I literally had a psychotic break. I went home for like a month. I had a psychotic break. This dude was saying that like, whoever this producer is that did this to her, like was threatening her after sexual advances with like destroying all her music and like, just like over and over and over again. And then was it Dr. Luke? I mean, I don't know, but I think what, happened to Kesha is like Mm -hmm. she knows even though she is Lady fucking Gaga she knows that something to that level of an industry behind this person would defend him and she's like listen I know in the Me (sighs) Too era I know I know and she's like I respect the Me Too era I respect people naming their abusers and I am just letting you know that I'm never gonna do that I don't want to look at him ever ever again yeah and like I I I appre- I'm only naming this thing about Lady Gaga. I think there's other... Prince Harry's on it. He's the he's the one that's in Canada, right? Harry, yes. Um, mm, yes. William's yeah. the other one. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, okay. um, so he's on it. There's other, you know, it's like opening up of mental health of like celebrities. They're just like us. They're like taking drugs too or whatever, you know. But um, it's the first time that I've heard Lady Gaga talk about this trauma in this way. Okay. That sounds heavy. It does. Yeah, not a... I guess great way on to Apple end, Apple TV plus. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to watch it, but Oprah, I've seen the clips. <laughs> also, Oprah does everything. Truly everything. Like she has a show out everywhere. I mean, I feel like if all you kind of have to do is like get briefed, hold some papers and mm-hmm. then just like be a warm person that people open up to. Like, that's true. I'd probably take a few jobs as well. Especially if all those jobs get me like, I bet she only has to work like three months out of the year to be oh, able yeah. to like have every because she's got the magazine. Did, is O Network still a thing? No, I think okay. it was bought by Discovery. Oh, that is what that became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus bought O Own Own, and they have that new show about meth. Oh, that the, uh, the Queen, of, Queen meth. of Meth. Yeah, <laughs> I. I will never forget turning on my Fire Stick TV and it just being splashed across the page. And yes. I was like, oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch that right now. I don't know now. if I'm going to watch it, but like every time I turn on my Roku and like she's staring at me, I'm like, what? And she looks rough. She does. She looks like the Queen of the Queen Mad, of Mad. Honestly. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, up next, we've got uh, the Queen of Podcasts, Mr. Andrew Gerza. And uh, let's take a quick break. Let's do it. Hi, and welcome back. Um, we are joined by Andrew Gerza, disability activist, podcast host, writer. In your work, you seek to explore how the lived experience of disability feels as it interplays with intersectional communities, talking about sex and bringing in some normalcy to like what makes disability sexy. I am so excited um, to talk to you. I am obsessed with your work, and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so nice to to meet other podcasters doing cool stuff around the mental health space because no one's really doing that now. 
I like to think so, but I think that you have been carving out a, a giant niche for yourself and having lots of big conversations. We were just mentioning the like 200, 300 plus episodes that you put out of Disability After Dark. Um, how has that been? We'll talk about some other things in a second, but like how has that project of Disability After Dark been for you? I mean, it came because another project that I was working on, I was working with somebody and we had a falling out and we didn't end up working together. And mm. so I had had a whole other brand and that one came together because I was like, oh, fuck, I need to, this brand died and now I have to build one up really fast. So I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to call it Disability After Dark and I'm only going to make it about sex. And for the first, I want to say 150 episodes, it was only about sex. And then, you know, I'm five years in now almost. And I got bored and I was like, well, I want to do a project that speaks to the things about disability that we don't talk about because much of the disability experience is in the dark and is mm-hmm. not talked about and is not really put in the public in the public sphere. So initially, Disability After Dark was a plan where it's like, after dark we fuck and after dark we're <laughs> right. sexy. And then it kind of morphed into like, Oh, after dark, we can have like big conversations about stuff that no one else is having. So it really went from a sex only podcast to like, I just want to talk about stuff about disability. And then then I don't want to change. I don't want to do a whole new show about that. I'll just change the the meaning of the name a little bit. Hell yeah. I need to go back and listen to the sex episodes then because I've just been listening to like the newer stuff, which is not sex focused. And I mean, it's still great. It's awesome. It's amazing. I've been learning a lot, but... I want to hear about the sex. <laughs> I mean, there's there were some good ones. I mean, there's a, I've done a whole bunch of episodes on anal sex. I've had anal sex and disability. I've had porn stars on, sex workers on that have yeah. been with me and like others with disabilities. Um, you know, doing the sex episodes, and I still do them. They still come on occasionally because I'm like I I might as well do them as my platform. So, like, those are fun, and talking to one of my favorite type of episodes to do is called What Would Happen If You Became Disabled Tomorrow, where I mm-hmm. talk to a non-disabled person about, yeah, okay, let's talk about what would happen if you woke up tomorrow and couldn't walk anymore, couldn't, you know, fuck anymore, couldn't do all the things you're so used to doing. Mm-hmm. How do you think you would feel about that? And, and usually I reserve those for queer queer male identified humans because there's so much ableism within that particular yes. microcosm of the community that I wanted to give them a safe space to explore their fear around ableism and mm-hmm. talk about it openly so that when they went back out in the world as, as queer men, they could be like, oh, now I can think about this. I'll think about this more. It'll be something that I consider. And so those ones... Those ones are some of my favorites also because then I can like slide into the DMs of my favorite porn stars and be like, <laughs> hey, I want to talk to you. Do you want to come and talk about this with me? But also like I can talk you to doing? you because yeah. you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get like too far away, I, because I am immediately running to like 97 ideas of um, where to go with you. I am so excited you're here. Um, what identities do you hold that shape how you come into this world? Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> the first identity that I hold is I'm Andrew. Uh, <laughs> and the second one that I hold, I think the biggest one for me that really impacts my whole life 
is that I'm a disabled person and I use that terminology very purposefully. I have chosen to use the word disabled to describe myself because I don't, my disability is not something that comes with me everywhere. It's inside of me. Mm. Um, make any sexual puns you want to right there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's it's inside of me and it's part of who I am. Um, for those who don't know who I am, I'm a power wheelchair user, 37, and I live with spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, which means that I can't walk and which means that I need full-time help for pretty much everything in my day. So the disabled identity is a big part of who I am and it's a huge part of what I do and it's kind of how I... I use my lived experience to um, basically create a job for myself. That's why That's why I'm doing what I do. That's why you hear the podcast because mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I have to make money. I have to support myself. When I was finished school, everybody was like, oh, just go do more school. And I was like, great, well, more school will get me a job. And they're like, mm-hmm. probably not, but, you know, it would be good to have. And I was like, well, fuck, I want to have a job. Like, I want to work. And so I went around to a bunch of agencies and said, like, I wanted to work, and they were like, okay, we can get you to flip burgers, or we can get you to do, like, phone assistance work. And I was like, no, I have two degrees. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to put these degrees to work. And so, basically, I ended up having to create my own job and just say, like, I want to talk about this stuff, and I want to talk about... At that point, it was mostly me talking about sexuality and disability and queerness and disability, Mm -hmm. which is like the main stays of what I do. But I also like talking about disability and mental health, disability and healthcare, um, you know, just disability in in our social sphere because it's everywhere, but we don't talk about it ever. So my job is to bring a bit of the lived experience to an audience and say, here's something you can you can like interact with here's somebody who's really disabled that you can interact with like what do you think about that yeah and then you know the other identities that i have are um i'm queer i'm a cripple i you know i'm a huge giant fag sometimes there's so many (laughs) there's so many different facets of my identity i'm also you know i'm freshly kind of coming into my they identity i've chosen to use they and he because and for me it is a choice forever I'm, I'm fully aware that for some people it's not a choice mm-hmm. for me it was a conscious choice because i often felt as a queer male identified person in queer male spaces as it with the as a queer man with disabilities i didn't have a space mm-hmm. and i my body wasn't seen as anything so i never felt like i hit i hit the male aesthetic the right way i never felt like my body had value there so one day I was just toying with the idea. I was like, well, what if when I was in those spaces, I just used they? And the more and more I started using it, the more and more it removed the expectation that I had to be this one way mm-hmm. or do masculinity or maleness in this one way. Right. And then it also applied to like disability too. You know, I don't have to do disability in a certain way either. So it kind of, it's funny how the the... The use of they really has, for me, permeated the disability experience and been and made it a part of that too. I think the way that I come to they or have before, and I think other folks do, and it sounds like there's a similarity, which is like 
it's an accessible point and a word that is meant to convey the construct of deconstruction. And in the same way that disability and this construct of disability is about the ways in which we socially organize versus how someone is born or how someone enters the world. Right. Like, yeah, at least that's how I think about, and I can, I can easily see how those two things could lead to one another. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, you, you just mentioned this, like there was no space for you as a, as a disabled person and also sort of being a male disabled person who's queer. Right. I guess I'm wondering you've been disabled your entire life. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you realize that you were queer? And then what was that experience like for you, knowing that, and I'm maybe making an assumption here, knowing that you already may have probably felt like you didn't fit in to sort of have that compounded on top of it? Because I I mean, I think most queer people, we consider ourselves queer because we we don't feel like we fit. We didn't feel like we fitted in uh, whenever we came out or whenever we were sort of going through those feelings, emotions, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I basically, I knew when I was five, and I I remember vividly being in the locker room of somewhere being like, oh, (laughs) I like this, and no one else seems to be liking this, and I don't know, like, and again, it wasn't sexual, it was just something in you that's like, oh, this is what, oh, and then Mm -hmm. as I kind of got older, the whole... Like, you know, I realized that I like boys and I liked, I definitely learned, I figured out when Queer as Folk kind of hit the scene, mm. probably like 20 years ago, and I started like secretly watching that on a VHS tape. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I like. This is it right here. The UK I'm or the US version? I'm, well, I mean, the UK version was good for Charlie Hunnam. Um and then the, the US version was good because the guy who played Brian Kinney was fucking beautiful yes uh and so i mean but the u.s version was much more accessible yeah. at the time so yeah obviously the u.s one but i remember having somebody in my life tape that for me secretly and like wow. bring it over and i would watch it and like get all horned up <laughs> by this show yeah and so that's when i was like oh that's what i want i want i want to fucking Brian I want want yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I wanted somebody to like, I wanted somebody this, <laughs> you know, it's funny, the scene where he's being eaten out by Brian Kinney, I was like, oh, I want that. I don't know why I want it. I just want it. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that, that, it was so iconic for me, like, oh, this is it. And so I thought that if I came out to everyone, that, and I was also watching a lot of those teen movies that came out around that time where, like, the teenage son comes out and is gay and then ends up dating the football jock or something. Like I, I, I was oh watching God. a lot of that being like, well, I, if this is what you're supposed to do, then if I just come out, then I'll get to fuck the football jock too then, obviously, because yeah. that's yeah. what I'm seeing in the media. Yeah. So I did that. But I remember thinking, like I, before I came out, I remember reading those pamphlets that you get in school that are like, do you think you're gay? It's okay. Tell your guidance counselor. But there was nothing about what if you're gay and disabled. There was nothing right. that featured that experience. And so, like, I remember having a lot of guilt of, like, I'm already a burden to my family. They already can't accept me, which which none of which was true. They, my family is great and fantastic. But in my head, I believe that I was a burden. 
So I was like, well, if I come out as gay, it's just going to make it harder for them now. Mm. Um, and so I didn't do it for a long time. And then one day I was listening to Alanis Morissette at like 15 because I thought I was so cool. Sure. And <laughs> I was being all angsty and weird and like <laughs> wanting to do all that. And I remember I was listening to You Ought to Know yes. on an old stereo cassette from back in the day. And... I hadn't spoken to my family in like a week. I was being really morose and really like angsty. And after dinner, my mom said, and I'll never forget because she was standing at our red sink. And she said, what's wrong? Are you, are you gay or something? And I just went, well, <laughs> now's my shot. And I just said, I just said, well, yeah, I guess I am. And she went, oh, and she sat me down and said like, okay, when you watch a guy in a movie, who do you watch? The guy or the girl? And I was like, obviously the guy. And so then we rented Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and we, <laughs> she showed me that, and we watched it together. And she said, Aww, you know, if you want to be, if you want, if you want to be this kind of gay person, it's all right. And I at the time was much too attitudinal to understand the value of that. So I was like, no, I'm not that kind of gay. No, no. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then now like, you're a ironically, thing. yeah. And now <laughs> I, and now I'm, <laughs> and now I've, I've done drag, I've done performance, like I've done all that, and so. You know, coming out as gay was one piece, but I mean, because of my disabilities, I come out all the time. I come out about being disabled. I come out about what my needs are. I can't look. So coming out, people think that when you come out, it comes, it happens once and it doesn't happen again. Right. That's just not true. We all know that there are pieces of ourselves that come out all the time. So I've come out multiple times since then, like from gay to queer to femme like so many different pieces of myself that I'm exploring, especially during the pandemic. Like I'm exploring all this stuff more so because I have a lot of time to think. So I'm just home thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, your allotment of time to think is beneficial to a lot of folks because you are able to offer um these really in insightful moments and these connections to people and stories that I think you understand in your life are deeply connected and they're normalized because, but within this world, if our understandings of queerness are queer as folk, that's already this limited experience for queer people in general. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. to like have this even these other different experiences where, you know, now we've got, you know, special. Is that the only example? I don't know. Like, in my mind, I mean, it is. I'm sure that there's more, but like, you know what I mean. Special's great. If you listen to the, the latest episode, I, don't I know did. I up. did. Yes, uh, the conversation with Ryan was awesome. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. He's a really, really sweet guy. And so we, and you know, we, when he first came out, we were, well, we weren't pitted against each other, but a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's stealing your thunder," and I was like. Hmm. And at the time, I was too young to realize how valuable what he what he was doing was, mm. and I was too not too like, oh no, you're stealing my my like one thing to make money. If you're doing it, then nobody will hire me. But now, as you know, I've been doing this for ten years. Like, I love what he's doing. I think it's so valuable. I think it's so, um, it's he. And I've said this to him multiple times. What he's doing is groundbreaking, and he's yeah. breaking every mold on television that has said. A disabled person doesn't deserve to be here. Right. Like, he's like, fuck you, I'm going to put it there. Watch me do it. Yep. Um, I mean, he isn't the only example, of course, but 
he's one of the most prominent examples because it talks about sex and disability in a way that's fluffy and light and funny and like isn't terrifying for because a lot of people are scared of the idea of sex and disability so I mean I can think of like there why I think his show is the most groundbreaking is because it actually shows disabled people having sex yeah like He's a real live disabled person, not an actor pretending to be a disabled person. He's a real disabled actor who really did that. So, yeah. like, I think that's why it's so important. Um, other representations, like I did a, I did a porn, so I've done adult yeah. film, I've done that kind of stuff. Like, but they're few and far between, unfortunately. So every time we see something like that, everybody goes, oh, "It's amazing," only because we've never seen, we don't see a lot of, of yeah. it. And I'm not saying that what Ryan has done isn't amazing. I'm saying we're so shocked by it because it's so few and far between that every time it comes out, every media outlet is like, wow, it's new. And we're all just like, it's not really new. You just didn't want to focus on it before. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I think that the first season where he hires the sex worker, I feel like that was a conversation that I sort of, I feel like I understood that in some ways, but then the having that shown, I think that you two are side uh, similar sides of a coin where like you're offering the funny, but also the real, the dark, the like oh, the disability after dark in terms of sex, but also the darker content, the darker sides of these things, and we get this dramatized like version of that with that that show, right? But yeah. Um, I feel like you've also offered a lot around what it means to engage with sex work as a disabled person um, and the sort of getting your needs met in a way that that makes sense because of the ableism in the community. Um, I don't even know how to necessarily pose a question because I know that there's so many uh, aspects of what it means to shrink down your work into talking about sex workers and disability, but like... What is your experience with that outside of making the porn? But like, how did your sexual awakening uh, meet with sex work? Um, Well, I hadn't been having great sex in about 10 years. And I was dealing with ableism on the apps. And I was dealing with ableism at the bar. And I was having trouble getting to the bar because of ableism. And I Mm -hmm. just, I wasn't doing what what I saw all my, unfortunately, all my white cis muscle dudes out there doing. Um... Because <laughs> unfortunately, that's the that's the demographic that gay men fall into. Right. Because <laughs> unfortunately, we're all horribly racist. Um, <laughs> but you know, so the, I wasn't able to kind of meet those standards of queerness that everybody else was doing, and I was like, and I I was just depressed, and I was really upset, and I was like, I want somebody to suck my dick, basically. Like I, I just want to get off with somebody right now and I don't want to meet I don't want to have a 2 a.m. hookup with some rando from Grinder. I don't yeah. I don't want to do that that doesn't appeal to me like I want something on the regular with somebody that I trust like I want to build a relationship with somebody where I and I understood the boundaries that it wasn't like we're going to be boyfriends tomorrow but I wanted something that I had control over yeah. and I could I could try and so I kept coming back to this site and I was like I kept looking at it and being like okay if I just click I can ask I can like talk to this person and see if they want to work with me and so I 
would I kept coming back to it, but not clicking because I was like, one hour is two fifty, and I was like, oh, I don't have two fifty. Yeah. Like at that point, I wasn't making a lot of money, and I'm still I still don't make a ton of money. So support my Patreon at patreon.com. Hell yeah, after dark. Well, we but, got you. Uh, but you know, yeah. Um, Pay for my dick, no. Yeah. But you know, I was I wasn't making a ton of money, and so I was like, "Hmm, do I want to get my dick sucked or do I want to make eat groceries this week? Let me think about mm. what's the right call to make." And so, so you got your when dick I sucked. had it, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the groceries. He ate my, yeah, he ate my eggplant. It's fine. Groceries were part of the <laughs> There we go. But like, but like so, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, one day, and I was like, I'm really horny and I'm really depressed. I'm just gonna do it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out the money later. Like, I'll fig- I'll just figure it out. So, mm-hmm. I found this guy named John Shield, who um, who is now my primary sex worker. We've worked together for four years. John Shield was not my first worker. The first worker I had, things didn't work out super well, and they mm-hmm. weren't super great or super kind. So I. I did not Sorry. see him again, yeah. but um, John and I, I emailed him and just said, have you worked with a, with disabled clientele before? And he said, no. And I said, cool, great. I'd love to like teach you about disability and also have great sex with you. You're hot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to explore that? And so he was, you know, at first very professional and like laid out the rate and we did all that and it was fine. And I found the money and I was like, okay, cool. We'll have a session. And so, we had a session, and within that, like, we were so, both of us were so nervous to engage the other one, because he, he's really beautiful, and, and I was just shy, and I was like, I don't look like you, I'll never be like, you know, I'll never look like that, so I was just really un- un- unsure of what to do, and I'd never, you know, my one experience with a worker before that was not great, didn't go super well, so I was apprehensive to, like, get too invested, but... When we started hanging out together, like his walls went down a little bit, and we ended up becoming friendly and becoming, I would say, we're friends. Um, and, you know, I taught him about disability, and it just now, you know, we haven't seen each other in a year and a half because of the pandemic. So mm. the second we're able to, I like, I want to, I want to <laughs> go deep in all the ways. But, <laughs> um, but you know, so I. We je- we've been working together now for four years, mm-hmm. and we've had to have hard conversations about boundaries mm-hmm. and hard conversations about, you know, what what is expected and what's possible. Because I got so excited that I moved really fast right after we started, you know, hooking up and and having sessions. And sometimes I'd forget that like it's a session. We're not we're not, you know, coupling here. We're not. Right. It's it's a we're work friends. It's a work thing. And so that's. <laughs> That's been hard because whether you're disabled or not, we're fed this narrative that you're supposed to meet somebody great, fall in love, have great sex, and then we're done. Right. So when you have to pivot your brain to be like, one of the only accessible ways that I get to have good sex is through a sex worker, that can be really jarring because it mm. removes that fantasy of like, you're going to meet somebody amazing. And yeah, I did meet somebody amazing. But it's a working relationship we have, and that's what I constantly have to rem- remind myself. Yeah. Okay. I was like, you want to go first? I'll go next. Um, well, you brought up something interesting, which I, after listening to your podcast, um, 
I mean, it, it's, it's brought a lot of awareness to my life and a lot of sort of, like I said earlier, like a lot of education, a lot of sort of things that I didn't think about before um, because I'm able-bodied, right? Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, what, does it get exhausting? Like having to teach able-bodied people, like, you know, what it's like being disabled. Is there anything, I don't know, awareness-wise that able-bodied people can get better at, um, where it doesn't have to be this thing where I'm not even thinking about somebody who's disabled until I'm in the same room as them. Um, and I, and yeah. I, I get it a little bit because, I mean, it's the same thing, sort of, not necessarily, with being Black, right? Like, white people don't have to think about a Black life until a Black life is in front of them. So... Yeah. I guess I'm wondering, like, what is your take on that, uh, being disabled? I mean, I think that's a great question, and I think that parallels between blackness and disability are, are there. Um, I also think that, you know, I have put myself in a position to be an educator, so I love to educate. It's what I do. It makes me very happy to educate non-disabled people, but there are moments where it's fucking exhausting, and yeah. I don't want to do it, and I don't... It's not something that I, that I want to get into, but... I look at it like this. It's never my obligation. I'm never, no disabled person ever is obligated to educate anyone on their disability. They're, no one is owed anybody's disability status. No one is owed their diagnosis. But by giving those things away and choosing to give those things away, you create an opportunity for conversation. You create an opportunity for knowledge. You create an opportunity for discussion and debunking of myths and friendship and and you open up the doors by using your experience to teach somebody if you want to and you have the energy level to. You're doing something that is going to change their world, maybe forever, and that's powerful. And so for sure there are moments where I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do this today. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, if doing this will help somebody and make them understand me better, especially if I'm going to fuck them later, <laughs> then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to, then I will definitely do it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I see it as, you know, there's a lot of talk in the disability space of, oh, I don't have to educate. It's not my job. And they say it in a very snarky way, some disability activists that I've encountered. And it's like, okay, look, you being snarky to someone else when they're trying to learn, even if what they're saying is ignorant, doesn't get us anywhere. It actually moves us backwards because then you've shut them out from learning. And I'm not saying that it's the easiest thing to learn. I'm not saying that it's comfortable to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But if if you asked me a question about disability and I came back with, well, fuck you, I don't have to answer you. Why do you, why do you ask me that? Mm-hmm. Your first reaction is going to be, oh, well, Andrew doesn't want to teach me. I'm not never going to ask that again I'm never but I'm but I'm gonna have all these these misrepresentations in my brain about what it is and what it really is and so I think that able-bodied people need to recognize that they have ableism that ableism is a part of their experience whether they realize it or not mm-hmm. but also that having an ableist idea or an ideology doesn't make you a bad person it means you have shit to work on. Just like I, as a white person, probably have some racism that I have to work through. doesn't mean that I'm a horrible, horrible person, but it, it does mean that I have shit I got to work on. Right. And I think in the social justice world, when we say stuff like, oh, you're an ableist, 
and that's all we call somebody, or like we'll say, "Oh, you're a racist." I'm like, "Well, I know where this is coming from, but what about the way through mm-hmm. calling somebody an ist and then just leaving it at that doesn't give us any opportunity to like move forward?" Mm-hmm. And so I'm troubled by a lot of social justice movements that are just like, "You're this," and then we're done. And it's like, "Well, right. that doesn't." We have to we have to work on it together. Yeah. There is absolutely this thing that I think needs to be worked on collectively, um, which is an an offering of some welcoming when someone says I fucked up and I've learned better and this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of like next thing is often discarded because of what something someone has previously done. The ist sticks, yeah. you know. But I also think what I'm hearing too is that it takes all kinds, right? Like, I think it's totally fine for someone to be like, that's not my job to do that. And you, Andrew, are like, but it's my job. I love to do it, you know, like, and that's yeah. okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that the the both end of that is really important. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that there is space for the angry person that's like, I don't want to do this. And there's space for me that's like, but I do. Let me, yeah. let me take, let me do that for you. Yeah. What is something that able-bodied people do that annoys this shit out of you? <laughs> How long we got? Um, <laughs> yeah. Re- <laughs> <laughs> that annoys the shit out of me. Yeah. Probably. Oh, how fast did your wheelchair go? Oh, oh, somebody's asked you that all the time. When I'm, whenever mm-hmm. I'm, or when you're out on the street and and oh, I have one. I have a better one. When you're out on the street. And you're trying to get into a door, but the door has no button. And you're like, you're at it. You're people are walking by you, and they don't stop for you. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They want to. Nobody will stop. And you're saying, "Excuse me, could you just?" And people just keep going. Mm-hmm. Oh Excuse gosh. me, could you just open the door? People just keep walking. Like you're not even there. And it's like, wow. Or then when you actually don't need something, everyone's like, "Are you okay? Are you alright? Can I help you?" And it's right. like, well, but wait, why can't? Why can't, like, why when I don't want you, are you hyper-focused on helping me? Mm, and when I want your help, you're nowhere to be found. Yeah. That's that's bringing up something for me. I remember when I was younger, um, and this is stuck with me, funny enough. Like, I was sort of taught uh, disabled people, like, don't pity disabled people. Like, they don't want your pity. Um, which then, at a certain age, morphed into this, like, Disabled people can take care of themselves, if that makes sense. Like, not to yeah, say, like, fuck disabled like, people, it, but, like, they yeah, got it, like, you don't like, have to feel bad. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you want to fuck this one, I'm down. I'm <laughs> um, but, like, no, but, like, yeah, I think, you know, the the the, the whispers are, don't stare. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to that disabled It's not nice to look, to look at them. And the problem with that, I've always said... For me personally, and just for me, I'll speak for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to stare at me. I want you to look at me. I mm. want you to engage with me because, in doing so, I can teach you how some of your ableism is wrong mm-hmm. in a way that is inviting and fun and, and comfortable where I don't shut you out. But, you know, it's really annoying when you're. When you're out with friends and somebody will be like to your friends, oh, good for you for helping him go out and do stuff. And my friends are like, actually, he's someone paying for dinner. So I don't know what you're talking like. Right. And like, I think what you're talking about, too, and what I'm hearing is like the ways in which ableism and, you know, sometimes whiteness, whatever, 
when there's that kind of like outreach of quote help mm-hmm. it's really for the person offering it it's like for that person's own morality to like feel better about themselves to say like they get to go home and be like i did this nice thing by offering this to this person yeah but if there's an inconvenience of stopping my life in order to interact in a different way then that's that's not going to be met with the same thing and it's also yeah. what i've heard too is like i I honestly, when I started following you on Twitter, I also was able to go down this rabbit hole of a bunch of other um, disability activists on Twitter and like seeing this conversation of this simultaneous hyper visibility, right? Like a wheelchair is a thing in a room, right? Or like on a sidewalk that is like there, but it culturally has this invisibility because it's like this mental game of like not staring, not participating. And then it becomes this thing that like is extremely obvious and the obvious is not bad. It exists. It's okay. But like the invisibility comes from the way in which we kind of overcorrect in this wrong way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, and I, that's also how I feel about, like what you were saying earlier about, I'm going to pat myself in the back. That's not how I feel about the way white people, myself included, sometimes are engaging with Black Lives Matter stuff right now right. and like black protest stuff right now. I hate the way white people, even the most well-meaning white people, are engaging with it right now. Sometimes myself included, because it's like, I want to be seen to be doing the right thing, but who am I really doing it for? Am I doing it for the black people that need my help? Or am I doing it so that my white friends can go, Andrew's so great, look at him, he shared Mm -hmm. that thing on Facebook, and now he's amazing. Like, I would rather don't share the stuff. How about you just send 10 bucks a month to... An organization or how about you like volunteer you know like do do that and don't don't be so loud about it just do it and shut up <laughs> like just do it and yeah. shut up and yeah. be, be happy that you did it and like so that's why i often don't share a lot of black lives matters from anymore because i just feel like it's very performative i feel like it's very um it's just so oh, i just don't like it and so i just like and i have members of my family who are racialized and who are black. And so like, I just feel I support them and I support what they're going through. And I like my brother's mixed race. And so like, I know how hard it's been for him from what he's telling me. And so as a result of that, like I'll, I'll give my money to organizations, but I won't be like, Hey, social media, look at me. Like that's not. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think that's something that you offer folks in your education. Um, So when I'm thinking about that thing around racism of like, you know, uh, look at me, look what I've done or not, it kind of prevents us from examining the ways in which racism harms us. Like, like how does the concept of racism limit our abilities to interact with one another with one another and not just, you know, harming large communities and the same thing with ableism too, like. If we constantly think of this as the other, like what you're offering when you ask your guests this sometimes of like, what does it mean when you are disabled? Because this concept of disability is like, to some extent, there's going to be an encounter of it throughout everyone's life, mm-hmm. just by the well, way. Well, let me let me lay it down. Let me like lay it down for you. It's gonna come yeah. for you whether you're ready for it or not. Like it's coming for you through old age. You might run into the hottest disabled person that you've ever met in your life which is me of course so like, <laughs> so like you know you 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 could encounter it in a number of ways and i think you know what i would say t- 
to connect the idea of the racism and ableism what we were talking about all of us are racist every single one of us myself included um all of us can be ableist myself included uh and it's important to instead of trying not to be when something happens call yourself out on it and and like examine where did i come from why did i say that how do i fix it instead of putting it under the rug and pretending it doesn't exist pretending it's not a part of our unfortunately our societal makeup all of that stuff is there racism ableism all that stuff is totally there um but we don't engage with it because we're told to not be these things and i think we need to stop saying we're not these things and start just saying yeah we are but we can work on it together right right um tell me about your favorite nut my favorite <laughs> nut yeah okay <laughs> Like food nut or dick? Yeah, like planters, <laughs> no. like almonds. No, I want to, like your your most memorable orgasm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, th- I can tell you my most embarrassing orgasm. Okay, we'll but, take but you know, that's up to you, but I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> I was on a train to visit my mom the other day, and because I haven't seen a sex worker in like a year and a half, I was just sitting there quietly looking at my phone, and all of a sudden... I came out of nowhere. No, yes. wasn't wasn't even aroused. Wasn't even turned on. Nobody was not watching anything to make myself come, and it just happened. And I was so embarrassed. Oh my god! Sitting on the train, just like straight up embarrassed, full of my own jizz, being like, "What do I do now?" And so I go. My mom goes to pick me up from the train. And she says, oh, did you have an accident? What happened? Because sometimes with disability, accidents happen. And I went, mm-hmm. I just went, my mom and I were very close. And I just went, oh, no, I, 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 I came everywhere. And she goes, <laughs> oh, all right, no big deal. We'll work. <laughs> and so we got in the car, went home, and just laughed it off. And that was it. <laughs> oh, my lanta. <laughs> that was the end of it. But it was, it was probably super embarrassing. And looking back on it, it's funny now. Because, like, it happened last week, and it was just... I was so mortified that somebody would see me like ejaculating. Luckily I did it quietly enough that no one saw, but it was so embarrassing. (laughs) But again, it makes me think about like, because I can't self pleasure and because I can't masturbate on my own, these things happen. And it's happened more frequently since I've lost the ability to self pleasure. And so you'd kind of just have to roll with it. I'm just like, Oh yeah, I came no big deal. Like I guess my body had to release that. But you know, I was super embarrassed and super ashamed for like a good while after, but it's funny now. Well, no, please oh no, I was just gonna say like, girl, you need to. I don't know, like you're you're gonna be real excited when you see the sex worker. I don't know, like are you are you gonna be able to last more than thirty seconds? Oh, don't worry. I told him I was like I was like, dude, we're gonna have to go a couple rounds because yeah, there we go. Have, like. You're gonna take off your pants, and I'm gonna come just by looking right at you. there. So yeah, right. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to. And I said no, but I, I said to him like because it's been so long, I'm booking you for an overnight because like I feel like I fucking deserve it after this yeah. year and a half of like lack of touch. You're fucking staying the night, and we'll figure it out from there. <laughs> you deserve two overnights. There we go. Right. I mean, let's, let's yeah. a weekend. Yeah. You can you can contribute to the Patreon for Andrews overnight. <laughs> yeah, do it for um. Andrews. Overnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think something I'm thinking about too is like, y- again, you're educating and offering this way in which 
sex is this very natural thing and we have these outlets that are sort of deemed normative, whether that's self-pleasure or whatever, in relationship to this very natural occur- occurrence of getting horny, our body responding to pleasure and like needing this outlet of, you know, excretion, you know, however that looks. And when we don't have it that It looks out- thick. <laughs> oh my God, yes, exactly. It is thick, 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 thick all in our pants. Um, there's When there's not this outlet our bodies are going to respond whether we want them to or not in these ways. Right. And like, as you've been learning about your own body and you were talking earlier about this connection to your body and mental health. And I'm just wondering like, what has the exploration of sex for you offered your mental health? I mean, thank God for sex work. (laughs) I've said it before and I'll say it again, sex work is sex work saved my life and not mm-hmm. in any I'm not being facetious, like I'm not being playful here. It really mm-hmm. it did because I was depressed. I was unhappy, like I was I was not suicidal, but I was really unhappy and I didn't have confidence. I wasn't I just was not okay in terms of my body, in terms of my sexuality. And then when I got to see somebody on a regular basis who I trusted and got to know and I got to fuck them and do all the things that like I had dreamed of doing but never got to do, like letting the that letting the giant slut that's inside of me out was really 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 necessary yeah. and really really nice. And so sex work changed my mental health extremely. And so like I haven't seen my worker in a year and a half, but I, I'll still send him like fifty bucks, sixty bucks here and there because I'm like you know without you. I wouldn't be confident. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, and I don't want to put all this pressure on him, but he, he really did change the way that I saw my, my body and my sexuality as a disabled person who, who's never been given the time of day by our community. Like I said something the other week on Twitter that was like, all of you queer men see me as an activist, Mm. but you'll never see me like in your bed or you'll never see me like, you know, with you, but you'll, you'll hire me to be an advocate to talk about all this stuff, but none of you will fuck me. So like, um, you know, being able to do that and being able to have the, those brief outlets of expression have been hugely beneficial to my mental health without question. And to keep you from getting blue balls. (laughs) Yes. I mean, right. Blue balls are real. (laughs) And they they're real and they hurt and they they're not fun. They hurt so bad. It's like having a stomach ache. Right. <laughs> it literally is a stomach ache. I've had blue balls like once. <laughs> You're like I I, and I don't like ever want it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um. Tattoos. Do you have any? Several. Okay. I feel like I saw you talking about this on Twitter. <laughs> what is what have tattoos meant to you? Um. Well, let me tell you what I have. I have. And I can't take off my shirt, so you, so I, but I can send you a photo later. Oh yeah. Um, and I, th- I think I did send you a photo with a whole bunch of tattoos on me somewhere. Right. Um, but I have queer cripple on my chest, on my left, uh, just above my left nipple, mm-hmm. and then I have no right nipple, and then I have a disabled leather man in a power wheelchair, looking all hot and buff. I love that and one. I forgot I, that. I love that tattoo. And then I have a. Uh, a unicorn in a wheelchair driving up a rainbow ramp. <laughs> and I, that was a joke that I didn't think would be a tattoo. And then my tattoo artist drew it and I was like, 
holy fuck, I want that <laughs> in my body right now. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then I have just a couple other ones here and there. But most of my tattoos are representations of disability, representations of, you know, the male body. And I did that purposefully again, partially so that when I'm fucking people, they have to look at this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have to, when they're fucking me, they have to see queer cripple on my chest. They have to see mm-hmm. um, the leather man in a wheelchair that looks hot. They have to see the hilarious unicorn in a in a power chair. But all of these things remind them that you're fucking a disabled person. Mm-hmm. And just in case you didn't know, like, you're fucking a disabled person. And he's okay with it. And he's proud of it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you the best fucking sex of your life if you just get over your own stuff. <laughs> like, so, I mean, those tattoos are really, they're for the community to see them when we get naked together. I have two unrelated questions. Um, first, is there a difference um, between disabled and cripple? When, or are they entertaining? Uh, cripple was, was, and in some cases still is a slur okay. to describe a disabled person, but I have reclaimed it, much like other communities have reclaimed other words. I've reclaimed it for myself because I know it's a bad word, but when I say it, you sit up and notice what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You notice what I'm speaking about. So I would never put it on another disabled person without them asking me, but I use it for myself, especially in my presentations, because it makes people go, oh, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. I better pay attention now because he just said a really bad word. And so mm-hmm. like, when the, then when I talk about ableism and deconstruct ableism with them, they can go, oh, that's why he used cripple because he was talking mm. about ableism and disability. So I would say there's a difference because disabled is like the, is is an accepted term, and cripple was used hundreds of years ago to denote less than. So there's mm. a there's a lot of differences, but I think when we reclaim language, and I think language evolves too, and I think a lot of issues I have within the disability community is that we infight so much with each other about what the appropriate language is, mm. what do you, how do you talk to each other. And I always think if no one's trying to hurt me, even if they use language that I don't super love, like somebody called me handicapped the other day, and I didn't stop them and I didn't, like chew them out I just said oh okay and I let them keep talking because they weren't using it against me to like harm me they were just they didn't they weren't sure and right. so like I think language definitely evolves and we ha- we in all our communities have, have yet to evolve with it that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we can throw around like the n-word and it's okay what I mean is that like different versions of, of language exist and for every person, they mean a different thing. Mm-hmm. And so if a black person uses a certain word that means something to them, we should we should say, okay, we should ask, like, what does that mean for you? And can I use that in our relationship together? Or do you want me to use that in our relationship together? Same with dis- disability. Like, what are your disability identifiers? And can I use them to describe you? And mm-hmm. I think it really just warrants a conversation. Mm. If you were white just and like you asked me if you can say the N-word to me, I'm going to fight you. But I get what you're <laughs> don't approach me with that question. You know better. Um, I but mean, no. you should fight me, though. But, but I mean, all, like that's why I said that it's not appropriate for me to be like, hey, can I call you the N-word? Like, no, that's not okay. But like, but like if we were having a, a discussion about 
other language within those communities, I might say, hey, so I noticed you use this word this way. Like, can we talk about it? Can we, like, I might be curious to ask. But again, just like I said with opportunity, not obligation, you have the right to be like, you know what? I don't want to interrogate this right now. No. Thanks so much for asking, though. I'm out. Yeah. No. Second question. Are you a top, top verse, verse, bottom verse, or bottom? Or none of those things. Good. <laughs> or all of them. <laughs> um, it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I forgot. It's been 94 years. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Rose in the, in the Titanic, like, <laughs> dropping the heart into the... Because it's been so fucking long. Yeah. But... <laughs> I mean, in my physicality, because of my body, physically I'm a top. Emotionally, I'm a bottom. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I identify with that. I can, that, yeah, <laughs> that just, yep. I feel like I know like, you now. I feel like I know you forwards and like, backwards. Physically, I'll fuck you raw and it'll be great and be awesome. And like, I can't thrust my my dick. I can't do it physically. So the the bottom has to do all the work. So I kind of jokingly call myself the human dildo. <laughs> and so like, you know, they do all the work and that's fine and it's hot. But inside, I'm like, I just want somebody to fuck me. Like, I just want to be told what to do and like, to, and just <laughs> take me to the places where I haven't not been. And I've, ne- like, I've never physically bottomed because it's just for a bunch of reasons. Reason one, I live with IBS. So that's a whole other Part of disability joy that's fun, mm-hmm. um, and then also because of my my muscle tightness and spasticity, I don't know if I could take a dick up the ass. But in my heart, that's all I want to do. Well, I mean, don't rule poppers out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I uh, I feel so lucky to have been able to speak with you today, and I appreciate the raw nature of how you approach all conversations with this simultaneous humor and lots of grace and um and really a lot of space for getting it wrong and i think that that's really admirable and i appreciate you offering that to us here and also in your work um which is just uh I, I feel like we're only scratching the surface because you have so many beautiful conversations, but thank you for bringing some of those to us today. Oh, well, thank you for being here, and I, I, I'll offer it to both of you. You want to come on my show and keep the conversation going, I'm more than happy to have you. Hell yeah, let's Done. do it. For sure. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break to take some meds, and then we'll wrap up the show. All right, um, welcome back, folks. After a titillating, wonderful, hilarious, insightful conversation with Andrew, we are ready to take some meds. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go first. Titillating. Um, titillating. Titties. Um, it's I... crippling, actually. <laughs> okay, oh, work, bitch. Uh, <laughs> that's one of those things where I'm like, um, we were talking about language, and that is on the tip of my tongue of like feeling... Like, I shouldn't say that, but I love that you're here to be able to say that. So, <laughs> um, Deeply enjoy it. Um, uh, for me this week, honestly, uh, I had a big day yesterday. One, uh, today is actually my partner's birthday. So happy birthday, Spencer. Um, but also there was this uh, sharing of friends and I got to see 
my partner like uh, exhibit joy and love and care with people that they've known since they were like in middle school. And it was very cute, lovely, yada, 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 barf, gross. The thing that I love is that I passed my licensing exam this week. Yay! Uh, yesterday. Yay. After like uh, many, many, many cancellations of friend things and uh, studying into the evening and just like kind of diving into books, I... Went and took a test at 8 a.m. yesterday, and I passed. You passed. I passed. It was... Ugh. The worst part was is that they didn't allow any water or gum, and I'm like, I am literally... What? So yeah. you going to be dehydrated? And I'm like, I'm water like, is essential bitch. Do you want me to, to die? Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And I kind of understand, like, maybe not bringing in, like, a water bottle you can cheat off of, which I don't really get, but, like, I guess that's the effort. But, like, the water fountains outside weren't working either. So I was literally what anxious. What are we, in seventh grade? A water bottle you can... What is it? Because, <laughs> you know, all, all the answers to mental health are on a water bottle. Yes, exactly. That's ABC why we have DFG. an issue with Dasani. Yes. Anyway, uh, I passed. I'm done. I can talk about something else now. Um, Andrew, what meds are you taking this week? Uh, well, that's, well, my IBS meds are one. <laughs> uh, my... What else? My... Gastro re gastrointestinal reflux meds or another. Uh, but what what brings what I enjoyed this week was right. I'm doing it right. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, happening. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Um, uh, what I enjoyed this week was I got to go to my mom's house to see her for her birthday, which was really nice because mm. I haven't really left my house in like a year, and so that was super nice to just be around family and just do that. Um, and then, yeah, yes, yes. Get to see mom and get to get out of the house. I'm glad that happened for you too. And then get to come on a train. There to we go. go. Yeah. I was going to see if you're going to talk about it, but yes, exactly. I want to come on a train. <laughs> I mean, you can. I can. I, I, like I guess can. I could. I could. <laughs> I could do that. You can. You'd probably just be fined a whole bunch of. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's true. It has to be like uh, accidental and non-touching. That's. The only I feel like even then they'll be like, "Sir, <laughs> sir." <laughs> <laughs> well, what are your meds, sir? Um, my meds are. I got two new pair of like Warby uh, Warby Parker glasses. Not that, sponsored. Not sponsored <laughs> and non-prescription. I got 2020 vision over here. Seriously, Warby Parker sponsored this show. Sponsor all our shows, please. <laughs> yeah. please? please and thank please? you. Please, please. I bought glasses and I don't even need them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been I I like had when I was. What am I trying to say? When I lived in New York back in the day, I used to have a pair of glasses that I wore everywhere. And they were like part of my signature look. And then I just like stopped wearing glasses. And I don't know what happened. But recently I was like, I want to start wearing glasses. Well, again. you didn't live in the smog anymore. So you didn't have to have a barrier mm-hmm. between oh, the Did you need glasses. to wear glasses? Was it like, a, what, did you need to? Or was it it's just for like aesthetic? It's for aesthetic. Oh. It's always for aesthetic. Um, I'm a Libra. So <laughs> I bought, that's what, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> Libras wear glasses. They wear glasses. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, yeah, so I bought two pair of Warby Parker glasses because I just wanted them for aesthetic purposes and they'd be stylish. And it brought me a lot of joy. They got, they also got here a lot earlier than I thought they were going to when I was in the store. First of all, I didn't realize that you couldn't just like get the glasses in the store. You have to like order them. And I guess it makes sense because they have to do a whole prescription thing. But anyways, the lady was like, it's going to take seven to 10 business days, but they usually get here sooner. So then I checked my email and it was like, they're going to get here on May 31st. And I was like, that lady lied to me. And then they actually just like showed up randomly yesterday. And I was like, ah, 
Nice. And I haven't worn them anywhere, but I'm just happy to have them. You're just like able to like stand in the mirror with your glasses. I feel like you have to whip them out right now. I want to see. I want to see. Do you want to see them? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to get them. Oh my God. Yeah, Shawnee is a certified hot person. So, like, any way that they're able to. um, Oh, I know. You're like, I I I do have eyes. I can see what's happening. (laughs) I can see what's happening. I couldn't hear any of that, but whatever Maddie said was a lie. <laughs> we all said we all said you're hot, so these are the first one. Do you want me to wear them? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's this is great auditory content, you know? This is weird to do with the headphones on. Oh, I look cute. There we go. Audience. Yeah, I mean you, Shawnee looks cute. You look like second year grad student, just finished a paper on like Right? Yes. I just want people to think physics. I'm smart. Molecular fixes. Don't ask me anything about that. You maybe slept with your. You maybe fucked your TA just before now. That's what these glasses say to me. Funny story. In grad school, I did have a hot TA that I wanted to fuck. Did you? But he had me too. Oh yeah. And now they're married with like a kid, which is annoying. But fine. I slept with a married prof once. It was. It was hot. Weird. Why didn't we ask you about that story? He was a he was a dickwad. It was. Oh. Did not end well. He's like, do you want to meet my, meet my wife? And I was like, not particularly, no. No, I do not. Who no. does that? No, thanks. Okay, these are the second ones. They're gold. They're flashy. They're a little flashier. I like, yeah, these ones are like, whoa, look at me. Yeah, these are very, uh, I call them my, like, me ghost glasses. Okay, They remind sure. me of, uh, who's that guy that cheated on Sweetie? Um, humana, humana. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great Miko's impression. Yo, yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so okay. now looking as studious as fuck, what's our homework? Um, homework. So we're gonna steal this directly from Andrew. <laughs> Take the glasses off to read. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> your homework is coming directly from Andrew. Um you can either write this down in your journal and just sort of like write out your thoughts about it, or you can use this as a meditation. But I want you to answer the question, uh, what would happen if you were suddenly disabled tomorrow? Like, what what do you think your life would be like? Like, how would you feel? How would you process? Um, just meditate on it a bit. Like, write it or down. Or like, what about that question scares you a little bit? Mm. What about the question like... What about that question gives you pause? Does that question scare you? Like, how would your sex change? Your whole, give us, give them the whole rundown of like what the feelings are. Right. Yeah. What would you have to unlearn? Mm. Exactly. Um, I love that thought. I'm going to follow up that homework and say, check out Andrew's podcast, Disability After Dark. Where else can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on the Twitter, on the Instagram, where I give hot takes about disability, and I just write all my thoughts. Now, basically, my social media is my journal, where I'm like, I had a thought, gonna write it, gonna gonna put it here. A lot for of all them the are people great. To read. And yeah. that's the problem yeah. with Twitter now. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's you're educated journey. and have a, something to say, it's like beautiful. So yeah, you know. that's true. <laughs> what what is the um at there? Is it just at Andrew Gerza? So the ad is. At Andrew Gerza underscore because somebody took my took just at Andrew Gerza so we gotta kill like, him. I have to use underscores. So it's in it's at Andrew Gerza underscore. Um, where else can you find me? I'm on my website andrewgerza.com. I give talks on sex and disability, healthcare and disability, mental health and disability. So if, if anyone out there has 
you know, funding and wants to hire a speaker, you know you need more speakers out there to talk about disability, and I'm right mm-hmm. here. You better get that check, get that bag. Yes. And we'll link to your Patreon as well um, in our Rex and Resources doc. So. And can we Patreon.com slash disability after our, it should be called dickability after our, because that's where the money's going. Oh my God. Speaking of dickability, can we link out to the porn video too? Yeah. Can we? Uh, you would have to buy the porn video, but yeah. you, if you go if you go to TV, because Davey Wavy hired me to do it. So yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I can send. Done. I can send you all those links. Yes. Pay Andrew money. Um, Big, 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 big thanks to Ali Kiltz, Carlos Valle, and Kiana Marrero for all the work that um, you babes do on this podcast. Thank you so much. Um, and thanks to Shanti Darling and Marquis for letting us use their music. Um, what a beautiful Sunday. I'm so happy that we got to talk to you. It was and, great. Uh, it was such a pleasure. Yes. Um, I can't wait to uh, potentially come on your show. That We can totally make that happen. If you go to... If you go... If you go to, where the fuck can you get this link? I will email it to you and you can just sign up whenever is good for you and you can pick a day and a time that works and we'll Beautiful. go from there. Perfect. Beautiful. <sighs> All right. Thanks. Let's get out of here. We got to go. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. Ha, ha, ha.